3: Hello. I'm home. Tour's over. Look, if you came to see the band and I over the last 16 dates we've done, thank you so much. It's been incredible, actually. Um, It's always a bit nerve-wracking when you do a tour because you've got no idea, you know, who's going to come, how it's going to go, and it's just been a really glorious tour. Really smooth, really fun, really festive, really joyful. Crowds have been awesome. Just been really, really happy. So thank you. Uh, I'm a little tired today. Actually not because of the gigs, but because um, we finished in Birmingham last night. Then I had to kind of sort out all the stuff, ready to come home. And uh, yeah, just today I'm sort of packing stuff. I got up at about... Oh blimey! I think it was about quarter to seven this morning, having gone to bed about two. So I definitely feel a little bit fatigued, but I can you hear my joyful children downstairs? But I'm definitely, definitely happy to be back. But in that nice way where like everything's gone well and you're feeling really chilled. So I'm just gonna close this door. It's my tumble drawer Just getting on with all my washing um it's quite funny actually i just um all my tour clothes are like sequins and tinsel dresses and things and leotards so you can't really like wash them properly so i just i don't know if this is how you're supposed to wash them this is what i do i always run a big bubble bath and then i kind of stomp in the bath and like slosh them around a bit it seems to work but it does look really funny i mean this all this these bubbles and all this tinsel and beading and sequins popping up through the suds. Um, But yeah, uh, it's now kind of dark already, so it's like the kids are home from school. And uh, I feel really sleepy now. I feel like I could go to bed in about an hour. Let's see how I get on. Well, I have to keep going. They have their Friday bedtime, so they like to go to bed a bit later on a Friday, so they'll be putting me to bed at this rate. Um... But yeah, my heart is really happy. It's such a good feeling. And, you know, as a singer, the thing is you just really want to always be in good good nick as well throughout the tour. So I do want to give my immune system a little shout-out because there were a few days where I could feel, you know, that little cold or cough just knocking at my door and it just kept getting pushed back. So thank you to my immune system for... Keeping the pipes in order. Much appreciated. It's a horrible... I got ill on the European tour that I did earlier in the year. And um, still did all the gigs, but oh, it's a horrible feeling. You just want to enjoy singing. It's just so nice when you don't have to... Don't sound like, I don't know, Marge Simpson. Uh, and yes, podcast. Uh, here we are. This will be the last podcast before Christmas. Um, I did it like that because... I don't think I've usually published over Christmas and New Year anywhere. I think just as the series has have fell and the fallen in the past, I've sort of always stopped them, I don't know, December time and picked up again January. But this one time, the, the podcast very much um is interrupted by Christmas and New Year. And I just thought, let's put it put it to rest. So we do the 16th, as we have done, and then it'll come back on the 8th of January. Um but I have a really lovely guest for you for the last one of 2023. So this is a woman called Alex, Alex Head. And Alex and I met in the summertime. I did a festival called Latitude, really lovely festival. And very nicely, Richard and I were asked to host one of the food tent days. So they've got this beautiful tent there run by a catering company called The Social Pantry. And basically on every day of the festival, they would run two sittings of around 350 people, 400 people each sitting. So really big, lots of long tables. And they had different hosts. So I know that uh, Richard Curtis and Emma Freud did one day. Um, they had some chefs come in for another day. And then Richard and I were on the Sunday, the same day that we were also doing the gig. And it was this beautiful sunny day. It was a really busy day, but one of those really like bustly, good energy days. So we did um, the first sitting of the lunch sitting with Social Pantry in this food tent. Then I went and did the, we did our slot on the main stage. Then I did another gig doing an acoustic set on a little acoustic stage. Then back to the Social Pantry uh, tent for the supper. And Alex was this, calm capable talent running the food side of things so her she's the ceo ahead of a company called social pantry which is effectively a catering company and the food the way they cooked was so good like they took our recipes from the book and just made them absolutely gorgeous we'd already been lucky enough to try some of their food at another event that they'd been catering at where richard and i were DJing. so i knew that they would really excellent with flavors And Alex and I got chatting a little bit and I'd already looked up a little bit about her company and I could see that also she was quite passionate about taking on um, ex-offenders. So ex-prisoners were going to work for Social Pantry, which really intrigued me because I do think sometimes people go into the system and then they come out the other side and it can be incredibly hard for people who've been through prison to get work. And obviously, having your purpose, having your sense of self, having your value in society and having a role is so, so, so important. So people like Alex who are actively giving jobs to ex-offenders is just such a brilliant thing, I think. Um, And then I started following Alex on uh, Instagram which is how I also saw her adorable baby Eddie so she has two children Roxy and Eddie so Roxy is three and Eddie's one and Eddie um, is a baby who was born with Down syndrome and he's a gorgeous smiley happy little tot and I love following his stories because he's just one of those babies where you see him smiling and it makes you smile. He's absolutely gorgeous, but also, I noticed that Alex had been very open about that experience her husband and I had had about finding out that their baby was very likely to be born with Down syndrome, and I just thought it's one of those things, isn't it we what do people say when they're having a baby most of the time? Oh, I hope he's healthy. And obviously healthy is a is a broad church and there's lots of definitions about what that means to different people. But I do think we're maybe just not very well equipped with how to talk or how to navigate the experience where you maybe become part of the... The other side of the coin of what happens when maybe you do those tests and you get the results and maybe you are in that minority of people who are facing a different set of options. So I really, really, really appreciate Alex being so open, so transparent, and I genuinely think it will help other people in the same situation. Because I'd imagine what happens is you're bustling along with your pregnancy and then you find out that you're actually given this set of options and this extra complication and you suddenly just think okay I need to actually try and work out what that means for me for my family and obviously it's all abstract because at that point the baby's just this idea of a baby and it's not really till you meet them that you start to break down how that person is in your world anyway I'm Alex puts this way better than I ever could and it was a really lovely chat and I also think she's just a really really cool interesting pretty fabulous woman so thank you to her and I will see you on the other side see you in a minute it's really nice to see you again Alex yes Thank you. The last time we met was on a very lovely, sunny, hot day at Latitude Festival. Yes. Where your brilliant team um, catered for, I think, two sittings of... 400 each? Yes, I think so, roughly. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, I mean, I know a bit about Social Pantry, but I'd yeah. love to hear it from you. Tell me about your business.
4: Yeah, so Social Pantry, so we're an events and contract catering company. Um, I started it about 12 years ago, um, all very organically, kind of just started cooking in my kitchen and said yes to every single kind of job that came in. So whether it was a press launch, a friend's wedding, kind of um, a dinner party, I just said yes to everything and um, with the hope of growing it. And over the years have grown it to um yeah a good size I've got a team of about 65 um full-time staff and we do lots of office catering which is kind of one of the arms then event catering which is obviously where we did your festival catering and then we also have two cafes and a restaurant
3: um well that's a lot yeah. going on I mean because from the outside looking in I would imagine the catering world and working in food service industry in any aspect You can't kind of rest on previous laurels at all. Exactly, yeah. It's got to be very much keeping that consistency and keeping up because other people might step in to be the people they call I guess
4: yeah totally I feel like we always kind of say you're only as good as your last event so the pressure is definitely on I think also to stay at the forefront of like food trends and kind of what's cool and making sure your events are so memorable like it's it's a really competitive market and there's so many brilliant people out there doing it but definitely workplace wise it's all about kind of sustainability and nourishment but on the event side it's about having that like wow factor and like what can you do within their budget to kind of go above and beyond and just make it so statement and so exciting so yeah, the pressure's on to always kind of perform and just to deliver again and again. And I think on the event side, we do about 30 to 40 events a week.
2: Oh, so wow. If, <laughs> yeah.
4: I didn't realise it was as much as that. Yeah, so it's, it's quite, um, yeah, it's quite fast-paced and quite fast-moving. How so, is your head functioning? <laughs> well, I only could have engaged with a certain number of them because that's only what's possible, yeah. I suppose. But I just, you know, my team are just so good. Like, they really are just su- such professionals, like intelligent on it, kind of brilliant, brilliant kind of event, you know, an events team who are just amazing. So the the delivery of it, you know, is is quite an operation behind the scenes. Um, And then with each client, obviously, it's just them that you're talking to. So it's trying to make that client feel like they're the only one. Yeah, exactly. Never mind get the 39. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the caliber of some of them are really quite intense. So it's kind of also managing that client or agency or venue as well. So it's a bit of a juggling act. um, But yeah, we're kind of managing just about to stay on top of it which is always a relief.
3: Yeah, you're smiling, so (laughs) that's good. Yeah, nervously (laughs)
4: laughing.
3: Well, I can vouch for the food. It's absolutely delicious. Yeah,
4: oh, you're so kind.
3: No, honestly, really, really good. And I'm sure there must be... I suppose you're, you started off with your job being one thing and now it's kind of grown all these other limbs of all these yes. other skills you've had to develop to be able to manage that yeah so where is your relationship with food itself at this point yeah.
4: oh my goodness I love <clears throat> I love food um and I kind of grew up in a really big family and meal times are always so fun like chaotic but fun my mum was a really good cook my grannies were both really good um one granny kind of quite wild and the other granny quite fierce about entertaining like you know wild I think and quite, fierce <laughs> yeah good to- Addictives folk for entertaining. I'm definitely coming. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I like served her like Yorkshire puddings with a chicken once and she just was like, what are you doing? I was probably about 20 and I was thinking, oh no. So kind of, she was just kind of, I suppose, really set the standard of like how to host really well and elegantly, um, but kind of always loved food and was always really interested. And I think it always just kind of kept me out of trouble, kind of kept me kept me busy, loved kind of cooking at home. And so, um, yeah, growing up and kind of discovering, you know, brilliant things in London like Borough Mar- markets um, and some really cool places to eat kind of just really fueled that. Um, mm. So still really like cooking. I'm not that good at cooking, but definitely kind of play a real hand in kind of the menu developments and deciding kind of, you know, what are kind of good menu combinations and what's quite memorable and what's quite cool. So work with people like Rich and Sarah, our development chef on kind of, you know, using ingredients that are sustainable and seasonal and exciting um, and turning, you know, great ingredients and
3: great suppliers into something that's really quite cool, I suppose definitely and one thing that popped out of what you were saying was about keeping you out of trouble because I was intrigued to find (laughs) out that your first you sort of turned to catering when you'd been expelled for the second Yeah, I think time, so. I right? was
4: so I was so naughty. I think I think everyone always asks kind of what for, but I think looking back, I was just um yeah, I suppose I was just kind of I yeah, love a challenge. I like always want to be busy and I think school just for me, sitting still and kind of learning just wasn't really my thing.
3: Yeah, well there's two um, aspects to to being expelled. One is obviously if you're just rebelling against where you're at. But then there's the other side of it, which has got a cry for help element to it. Yeah. And for a lot of people, I think, school represents something that goes against something quite integral to how yeah. they function and what makes them feel happy yeah it's just not a one-size-fits-all for yeah people totally. just being able to find their way with it actually yeah exactly and I think it was a summer term before
4: my GCSEs they basically just said like you can just kind of be from well, like study from home so um so I was like sure you know sounds good and so then I started a little sandwich company so we lived in Saudi and I printed some like clip art posters to my dad's office and kind of put them around and then people would like phone and put in their sandwich order and I'd make the sandwiches and then just kind of cycle them up to to his office and deliver them so kind of I suppose that's what I did whilst kind of revising for my GCSEs and made a bit of pocket money and thought okay how hard can this be and how hard can catering and and cooking be and now obviously know the answer to that
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's actually pretty amazing that you found something that worked for you outside of it and kept you engaged and getting out of bed in the morning and yeah totally excited Yeah. yeah and I think it's such a tough
4: industry like there was I was often kind of I kind of chefed in some kitchens and they were so male dominated that I just wanted to prove them wrong. Yeah. I'd kind of turn up for a trial shift and they kind of would look at me and think, Oh, you're not gonna last. And I was so determined to kind of make it and last and show them that I could work hard and you know I could kind of I could definitely be that like starter chef or dessert chef or whatever you know, in yeah. relatively basic restaurants. But I kind of was just determined to prove to them that I could work hard and succeed. because yeah. um, it was just really shouty kitchens and and you know, I suppose kitchens now just, you know, aren't like like that, luckily, um, but just wanted to prove them wrong. So,
3: but maybe you've been part of the reason that culture of kitchens has changed because I spoke to Anna Horb about that as well. She spoke a lot about the sort of male-dominated world and about having to assert herself. So, I think you've obviously got to sort of rewrite how things have been done up to that point yeah
4: totally like now our kitchens are really like I'd like to say yeah they're definitely non-shouty but I'd like to say they're quite nurturing as well we've got all sorts of kind of backgrounds in our kitchens um and just having a calm environment like the mm. team in there are running it's a it's a really serious you know it's a serious operation but it's also it's a really lovely environment to be in and hopefully you kind of saw that at latitude of definitely. that range he's like he's my exec chef and he's he's just really calm really mm-hmm. on it kind of operating at a level and I think that just kind of I suppose um kind of creates a bit of respect and a lovely culture so if anybody kind of comes into that with with the wrong idea or you know it it just kind of doesn't work because growing up in those shouty kitchens was terrifying yeah it was anxiety inducing I remember doing some work experience at a really big name in London and walking there in the mornings I'd be terrified and I just thought god I never would I put any kind of you know any any youngie or anybody else through that like there's just no need for that no it's it's actually
3: actually a really um bullying sort of culture that isn't
4: it yeah yeah and it's a tough industry anyway like you're working hard
3: so like let's make it a really nice place to work so that's what I try and encourage well because you mentioned about people with different backgrounds because one of the things when I knew I was going to be um working with you at Latitude I started looking up Social Pantry and I was really interested and excited to see about all the work that you do with ex-offenders because I that is not something that every company is doing yeah but what a vital things. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, of
4: course. Yeah, I, I, I started mentoring a gentleman called Reuben through Key for Life, um, probably about seven years ago. And um, he was my first ever prison visit. And I was yeah, nervous, to say the least, going in. Um, he was in ISIS prison, which is by Belmarsh. Um, so went in there to visit him, and he was just great. I, I kind of was thinking, like, what am I going to talk to him about? Like, you know, what have we got in common? And actually, we bonded over, like, giving up smoking. Like, he was <laughs> trying to give up smoking. I was kind of, you know, had give, just recently given up soaking. So we kind of had something in common and then we just kind of became like buddies, I
3: suppose. So what was the premise of you going to see him? It was about mentoring mentoring. for potential careers post? Yeah,
4: no, just kind of being a like, just mentoring with the charity. So on release, we then kind of would meet up and go for a coffee. And I was there as, like, a go-to, you know, if he needed help, like, I don't know, buying a travel card or maybe setting up a bank account. You know, just when people come out of prison. So they often will have an adult and a charity, um, like a mentor, um, to kind of support them. So What made you want to do that in the first place? I think it was a friend of mine's mum who said, like, I'd be, you know, it'd be quite interesting. And Mm. so I kind of was like, yeah, do you know what? And having been quite naughty when I was younger... or, you know, I or being given a few second chances. I was like, definitely. Like, if they're being released into society, like, why shouldn't I support and help them? Mm. So it was that charity, actually, who said, will you employ one of the other other guys coming out? So I got my team of about eight people in a room, and I said, are you happy to work alongside an ex-offender? And they said, sure. So Su- Suhail arrived, um, and he started off about three days a week, and he wasn't very, like, he hadn't really committed. So I kind of said to him, hey, listen, I'm a small company. Like, you need to really come and commit and be brilliant so either do five days a week or don't bother Mm -hmm. and then he had a day to think about it and then he came and he did five days a week and he was with me for about four or five years oh wow Um, yeah i kind of said to him like hey this is you know i'm still you know it's hard work to pay your salary and you know you need to kind of come and be you know really be part of us and and he
3: did that's so good that you were able to speak to him like that though so in a way that empowered him to feel the decision is with you yeah but if you're here yeah you're you have to show up yeah and (laughs) that's
4: what we do is we always just offer an opportunity so we had a gentleman come out of like wandsworth prison for me last week and said could one of their guys come and interview so we said of course we always say yes he did a trial shift last thursday and then he started this week so he's doing three days a week in one of our kitchens um and he's just asked to kind of at the end of this week he's just asked to do another day a week so yeah we're kind of like the opportunities there take it be part of a great team you know it's there for the taking and Ultimately, it's like a sideline of what we do. Like, nothing can detract from delivering these incredible events. Mm-hmm. So, but we definitely kind of want to offer the employment. And if they're there and got the right attitude and, you know, got
3: the energy and, you know, you know want to be part of the team, then we definitely take them on. And do you think that has helped other businesses and companies have a similar open mind?
4: Yeah, I like to think
3: so. Yeah. Do you know, years ago, so if we, I wouldn't dare tell anybody because
4: we were still trying to win the events and we were still a growing company, you know. We weren't a big enough brand, um, so I didn't dare tell people that we were like employing ex-offenders because it would just put them off. But now the mindset's really changed and people, I think, come to Social Pantry because of it or it's Mm -hmm. definitely cited as a reason, so it's quite nice. So now we talk about it the whole time um, because we're so proud of it. And I'll often do a talk and say like, well, if we can do it, why can't, if we can do it with a small HR department, which is an amazing lady called Sylvia, who works so hard with all all the ex-offenders, if we can do it with just Sylvia and I, then these big companies should definitely do it. Like, they've got big HR departments, big support and big budget, so they should totally do it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I try and kind of spread the word, but...
3: Well, I guess as well, for people who might have got an idea that there's a stigma to it, you're really not really getting into the mindset of what someone might feel like when they're trying to get back into society, have a sense of self, have a sense of purpose. Yeah. But also for those people... You know, after everybody who came, I suppose, after Ruben would be someone that enters an environment knowing they are not the odd one out. They're part of something where there's an environment of acceptance and, and, and seeing potential. Yeah, exactly. And some people would join
4: and, you know we'll just slot in and be great and some kind of join and need lots more like TLC and support. But sometimes we can have an ex-offender in the business and people won't have realised initially and that's also quite nice. Yeah. It's down to them like, um yeah, it's down to them to kind of disclose it to the team. Like at no point would we reveal, well, Sylvia and I know their crimes, but um just for kind of safeguarding and insurance purposes, but for that, we wouldn't ever disclose that. Like it's this, you know, that the judicial system says they're going to be released and that's their chance to kind of have a fresh start as such. Yeah. Um But yeah, I think it is Uh, also so important to say that some of these especially the younger guys have had really tough start to life like care home to care home prison to prison and actually this is the first time they've been given an opportunity or people that they kind of um who are you know kind to them or have given them a chance or even listened to them so for some of them they were you know it was slightly inevitable they're going to end up in prison so it's trying to kind of break that mold i suppose for them um and for some people they've just you know kind of messed up and landed themselves in that situation and it you know they're now kind of just wanting to put it behind Behind them so I suppose we're kind of supporting that kind of fresh outlook but some of them have had a tough journey
3: I bet probably the majority I would imagine yeah totally yeah but I think well I think it's really um magic actually because I I think it makes you also I suppose question your relationship with um what happens when you do fall into the you know if I want a better phrase the wrong side of the tracks because I think we've got a bit of a idea that once you know you've got the kind of um the people walking, them are sort of straight and narrow and then once you're off either side of the path, you kind of slip down into a sort of sub, you know, another world awaits you. But actually, yeah. if you can still get yourself back on track, yeah. uh, find your feet again, uh, have, you know, financial independence, yeah. other options, be working hard, be part of a team. Yeah. Uh, if you can't, if you can't sort of see the value in how our, Judicial system works, and you you really should be having other questions about it. Yeah, totally. And it's and it's quite
4: hard. Like some of these guys, when they come out, they face really real kind of challenge. You know, real challenges with housing, um, with kind of setting up bank accounts. And I feel like sometimes I would struggle in that situation. And I've got you know I've got a lot of resource, so actually they do need a lot of support. And sometimes there isn't a charity to help them, or there isn't a family to help them. Mm. If they come out and they've got a family and somewhere to live, then their chances of reoffending is quite slim. But if they come out and they haven't got housing and they haven't really got any support or family then it's it's a real challenge for them to kind of get back on track so we do do that extracurricular i think sylvia's kind of done like the bus route with one of them once we've set we've helped support with like you know bank accounts because that's quite simple for us um so we do kind of help where we can because i think there are real challenges that these guys face and that does inevitably mean it's so hard and then they're kind of back in that cycle so it's quite hard for them to kind of get out of it and then as as an employer or in in an individual i can totally support where i can
3: well i think Um, it's amazing because it means that you've got Got to, I mean, that does add to, I suppose, the, the weight on your shoulders is you've got these, this big team of people, you're 65 people, you're keeping motivated, you're 30 to 40 events. M- managing all the sort of nuance of the dynamics within that, that's a lot for you to do. But I guess, do you find... Does it give you kind of are you energized? About <laughs> yeah,
4: it? I think that so. it is definitely a lot. And sometimes I think what I quite like is some of our events we do are so high end and in in just incredible places. So venues for incredible people. They might be. Um, really well-known people or just kind of high net worth individuals and some of these events you see you're like wow this really is the extreme Mm. and actually to then be in a prison the next day visiting some people it just keeps you really balanced like I really like that because I you know you could end up thinking you could kind of get swept up in that whole event world and be like gosh wow why you know why you know why isn't everybody getting married at Blenheim Palace or like you know (laughs) these kind of insane things or like why isn't everybody doing that for their wedding you know and you just think wow or insane events and insane you know venues actually kind of it keeps it really real for me as a you know it keeps me on the straight and narrow like just kind of not getting too carried away with like you know because some of the people we meet and houses we go to is just so wild and it's wonderful and that's an incredible experience and we do incredible events for them and that's you know what makes social pantry so great and exciting but also on the other side having the prison visits makes you realize that actually gosh there's you know the two extremes and kind of it's good to kind of sit in the middle of that.
3: <laughs> yeah, I can totally imagine that. And I, I know exactly. I mean, I don't have quite as much of an extreme like that with, you know, one day the, the posh things and then the, the prison. But yeah. I yeah. definitely, in my line of work, quite often I'll sing somewhere where it'll be this very juicy, but I often have to go on walking through the kitchens. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, it's like I quite like the fact that on my, I'm actually very much the like hired entertainment. Yes. You know, it, off, yeah. Yeah. And actually, <laughs> It's not they're not always having the most fun. Yes. <laughs> those parties anyway. Yeah, yeah so, exactly. You know, it's quite interesting. It's like a little like Yeah. You yeah. know, an observational like peephole into different worlds. Yeah, which is it's quite amazing, exciting. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. while you've been building your business, what was happening when you had your first baby? So your daughter, Roxy, is yeah. Three. Yes, exactly.
4: Yeah, three. So I think I had um, I had Roxy in December, um, and then the pandemic hit in about March, I think. So I was on a bit of a maternity. I wasn't planning on having that long. I think I was hoping to take like four or five. I'll just see how it went. Really, um, I had a great team and Holly at Social Pantry, like, were totally set to kind of you know operate without me. I think they were probably really pleased to not have me there for quite a while. So like, I could have taken you know as, as long as I wanted, but suddenly I was, the pandemic was obviously kind of flying in, and I was mm-hmm. thinking like, oh gosh, okay. This is this is more serious. Like this isn't gonna just blow over. Um, and so I suppose yeah, I had had Roxy. Roxy was about three months old and then kind of got really Back into work and did that kind of crisis management of, of you know, being a business owner and doing what I could to kind of make COVID, you know, have at least impact as possible on the business. Actually, that's an extra thing to think about. Isn't yeah, so it was a it was a bit, was a bit <laughs> hectic. So, Roxy, yeah, but Roxy, yeah, was I suppose relatively straightforward and a simple baby. So, put, we, like, we put her in nursery. I think for about eight months. Did you always um, want to have?
3: children did you always see that as part of yeah I think so yeah
4: yeah I realize now now that my kiddies are a little bit older that the older they get the better they are I realise that that baby phase I'm probably less infatuated with actually like the older they get and like they're quite fun now to hang out with whereas that baby stage I was a bit like oh god I'm not sure (laughs) maybe I, in my head it was quite dreamy and actually in reality it was like maybe I was a bit bored I don't, I don't know maybe I, I think just that's needed okay to say get that. back to work <laughs> yeah a bit bored and <laughs> yeah I did a few like mum classes and stuff which were lovely and had a really good like NCT kind of gaggle around me actually a really supportive group and group like locally which were lovely but also quite happy to jump back into work
3: yeah i think because um, i because i've quite a lot of children people say oh you must love babies and i do but that's not actually yeah. why i kept having Yes, yeah. I think when they get a bit older I think I'm actually a better parent for the bits where they get a bit older and yeah. you can hang out and I like it when they get sort of like when they get to about three and they're like this yes. quite eccentric crazy and like yes. objectively three is like I think maybe my favorite age Yes, actually. Is it okay the optimum? I think well I like the fact that they've got they're starting to get you know they can articulate things they hang, yeah. you can have fun with them but they're also quite out there with their ideas yeah so I quite like the it's like hanging out with like a sort of small squidgy drunk person (laughs) all day and I quite enjoy that
4: (laughs) and their characters come out as well sometimes I'm like oh gosh you're funny or you're sweet or I'm like oh my god you're awful
3: (laughs) definitely and I think we talk a lot about our kids personalities coming out but I think your parent personality as well yes is the thing you don't what kind of mum do I want to be like what, what what's the priority to me am I Am I good? What, how am I playing? How am I doing this? How am I doing yeah. that? Do I like reading yes. books, and you start discovering, I'm actually quite good at that, but I'm really not so yeah. good at that bit.
4: Yes, you know? yeah, definitely. I'm not a playing mum. I definitely like, yeah, Roxy and I love like a little trip. Like, I'm gonna, like, she's gonna slot it into our routine. And she's always so excited to go to little. I'll take a little trip over a soft play any day. Like, that's <laughs> definitely my <laughs> preference. So, yeah, lots of kind of cooking and baking, but yeah. Perfect. But yeah, it's quite fun.
2: And then also from
3: meeting you, I started following you on Instagram and you have the cutest baby on Instagram, Eddie. So can you tell me a little bit about Eddie? Because obviously it came a little bit more complicated in that he he came with, you got a diagnosis during pregnancy. Yes, exactly, yeah. So you've been really open about it. And and I actually, though, I did read one post where you were considering you and your husband doing a podcast about the fact that Eddie was born with Down syndrome and about what that meant to you. Yeah. So obviously... I think, you know, for you, it must have meant like everybody has the tests and then you get the, so obviously there's so many positives that come with Downs, but there's also the bit where your brain has to do an adjustment of where you thought things were headed and your expectations and then the new reality. So can you remember what that yeah, felt like? Yeah, totally. I, re- I remember actually. And I remember kind of seeing other parents
4: who have children with Down syndrome, like being like, oh, the diagnosis was the worst bit. And I think I can completely resonate with that now. It was so challenging. Also, when you're pregnant like your hormones are obviously all over the place. So we went in I think for a 12 week scan and at that point they were like, "Oh, hang on. There's a bit of a high chance of having the, the baby having Down syndrome." And I was like, "Oh, what's a high chance?" And I think they said like 1 in 3. So I was like, "What's a low chance?" Thinking they were going to say like 1 in 10 and they were like 1 in 500. And I was like, "Ooh. Okay, this is kind of quite a lot to take on board. So we kind of um, they asked if we wanted some further tests. At that point, we were like, "Yes, definitely." I actually grew up with um, in Saudi with two families that have girls who were dancing, James. So I was familiar with it, which um, is actually
3: quite a massive help yeah, because for a lot of people, huge. they might, if you anything yes. that's unexpected, if you haven't got any experience of it, yeah, the abstract notion of it just sort of hangs totally there. and would be
4: terrifying. Um, and actually, Katie, who I grew up with, loves Eddie, and actually thinks she's Eddie's auntie. So we're <laughs> really quite sweet. Um, but yeah, so we. Um, so so we were then in this kind of limbo phase, as I call it, where we were having more tests, which are pretty grim. It's quite intense. And at no point can they kind of tell you any definite answer. Okay. And then because we were with all the medics, they're relatively negative about it because of all the associated kind of, I suppose, medical conditions that, that become more likely. Um, whereas now, if you know, with the, ther- the therapy groups that Eddie's in, you know, if you were to talk to the therapy, you know, teachers as well, you'd get such a different kind of outlook on it.
3: That's interesting though, isn't it, for you, that it almost must have felt like a sort of, Shade and light. Yes, it was.
4: It was. Su- I definitely have to say it was up there in like being one of the most stressful times. Um, and then there's, you know, George and I trying to kind of make this decision. Really, we had this decision. And the the most kind of startling fact is that nine out of ten people will terminate the pregnancy. So I kind of in my head was like, wow, if we had nine, ten friends in a room, you know, we would be sit here and nine, you know, and that's across the board of everybody that gets this diagnosis. So I felt like we were really going against the grain and we were ultimately. I'm actually
3: quite shocked at that, actually. Though. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't, I suppose there's so much of a positive association. Maybe, though, because I've only, I've met people, I've, I know family yeah. members and yeah. Downs, but I don't, I haven't had been in the journey before that but it's just the diagnosis yeah
4: and you're kind of so, so basically we kind of then took a couple of weeks and obviously I took a bit of time off work it was it was definitely stressful but I was quite keen on like I think i had kind of come to the decision in my head but I had to make sure that George was fully on board of course if there was any bit of him that wasn't then you know but then we kind of had this slight heart scan pending at 20 weeks they do a heart scan and at that point they they could have told us that maybe the pregnancy wasn't viable or actually we were kind of good to get the green light so it was this awful limbo period where you're getting more and more pregnant under those big bags jumpers and you're exhausted and you're looking awful and you can't tell anybody and I definitely didn't want to tell anyone at work but obviously told like close family members who are never going to advise or give their opinion because you know they're just there supporting my dad was amazing like sisters were great so it was really, you know, we, but, but really the decision came down to George and I. And so we kind of got to this point where we were comfortable kind of moving forward. And then we had the heart scan and that was a couple of bits, but nothing, you know, nothing alarming. So we kind of rolled on through. I quite liked it. We had loads of extra tests during mm. the pregnancy. So that was really lovely. And then luckily, you know, kind of quite fat Eddie was born in <laughs> April. <laughs> and it was really, yeah, really lovely and kind of haven't looked back. But um, had a bit of time in like intensive care or that NICU bit where they're an amazing midwife. And um, you know that side of it, and we've kind of yeah, he just keeps getting better and better. There was definitely a lot of anxiety around the beginning, but I'm kind of so yeah. I mean, I don't really think back to that kind of decision very often. Really, um I look back on the pregnancy as being like, gosh, that was definitely tough. But kind of once Eddie was born, I suppose you kind of put that behind you, and then he's just developing into quite a character.
3: Yeah, I mean, um, I'm finding it all quite moving, I suppose, because I mm-hmm. I'm only the person that's just seen all these like really lovely, happy yeah. pictures of this gorgeous boy who's clearly surrounded by so much love and I suppose I wonder how if there's a way to have conversations with people who are in that situation that you were Georgia in that would put things in a slightly different light because it doesn't sound like I feel like the emphasis maybe I mean I don't want to say to be glib if there's if it's a complex diagnosis that has lots of potential factors to it yeah I can understand the seriousness of, course, of that. Of yeah. But once your baby's here that's just a thing that happens to be part of them I would imagine yeah it was so so I think also I think that the the reason I wanted to
4: kind of do the podcast was because when we were in that phase there was nobody that we could because I don't know if people would talk about having made the decision to terminate like I don't know if people openly talk about it so once you have a child with Down Syndrome there's a great community and there's lots of people talking about and Mm. advocating for it and it's a really you know it's a really positive world but that bit when you find out during pregnancy it's there's nobody I know that would talk talk about it or there was nobody that we could kind of go to yeah um or kind of uh, it was it's just really undiscussed and fair enough because you know I could have argued it both ways like the, the kind of decision really strongly both ways and that's what's so difficult so I, I feel like you know who would really kind of openly want to talk about it so you're kind of in this very lonely isolated world yeah. and you're pregnant which is just so stressful and so and it's just your decision and making any really important decision when pregnant is quite you know it's yeah. not the best time to be kind of making that decision no, you so, feel like
3: you've got a big countdown clock of everything. Yeah, totally. you totally. The pressure of just like...
4: yes. Yeah.
3: I just, all I know is there's an impending, there's a moment of no return. Yes. With and all them.
4: the medical terminology, I'd like, oh my goodness, i go to an appointment, George would be like, what did they say? I'd be like, I can't remember. Like, I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. I literally don't know what they said. And he'd be like, right. So I think there was one appointment he didn't come to, and then he came to every single one. But um, so it's kind of, it's just intense, but that, that bit's so undiscussed. Um, so I'm quite happy to kind of talk about it because I think sometimes it might just help somebody that's had that diagnosis. A couple of people have reached out and been like, we've just had a high chance, or because mm. you don't get fully diagnosed with it but you know we're in this position and I've kind of and I think people probably think I'm going to be really positive about it because of Eddie's Instagram now but actually I'm like oh my god it's the worst isn't it are you okay and they've openly said like oh it's awful no one understands I'm like I get it I get it it was
3: honestly the worst it was it was just such a difficult difficult time yeah yeah and I think we've the, the casual conversations that surround so much of Pregnancy, babyhood, fertility, all these things, are so, they're so casual that we talk about it like the weather. And yes. it's such a thing we say, oh, I don't mind what it is so long as it's healthy. Yeah. But the con- connotations of healthy is broad and wide and what yeah. does that mean anyway? What, we, we don't really break that down into anything. Yeah. You know, and I think... Um, you know I haven't experienced what you have, but I did have it where my first baby was born two months early, oh, wow. I got something called preeclampsia, oh, yeah. so I went from being like, "Oh, I've still got ages to go, I'm going to get big and fat, this is the kind of you know birth I want, yeah to oh no, no, babies this here. is stopping now where your baby's being born early you're going they're going to be in intensive care at the hospital for yeah. a while. And it's like you've just slipped into this little tiny bit at the bottom of the manual where it just says sometimes this happens. Yes. But then there's no chapter yes. in your book for, yeah. for that bit. Okay, I'm that yes. one. Oh, okay, I don't need eight. Well, eight and nine. That didn't happen to me. Yeah. And you, and also when your baby is born and they're immediately a patient, Yeah, there is a seriousness around that. And at the hospital... I'm not really encouraged to speak to the other parents, not really encouraged yeah. to look at the other babies because they're all patients and they're all having yeah. their different levels of seriousness around their medical situation. So it's quite Yeah. It's quite intense. Yeah. And you want to be able to celebrate I'm having a baby, this yes. is a happy thing.
4: Yeah, totally. But the
3: manual of how to navigate it if it's, it's outside so of The norm suddenly feels like, oh, it's been awfully quiet in here. Yeah,
4: and I think we were given this, like, dusty old book. They kind of, like, got this book off the shelf and kind of blew the dust off, and they were like, here you go. And we were like... Okay, great. Like, th- thanks. It was, it was just so, yeah, so, yeah, it was definitely difficult. But um Eddie now has kind of odd checks. And when I go back to the hospital, I'm like, oh, gosh, wow, we're so lucky that he's healthy and good. Like, it kind of takes you back there to that beginning yeah. bit. And you're like, wow, gosh, what are concerns back then, you know, around his heart and around other bits? I like, oh, they're not even a concern now. It's so lovely. You know, like, yeah. actually, I kind of think, gosh, we're so lucky that he's good. And, you know, almost walking, and he's just progressing really well, which is great. But also, there's no pressure on that. But yeah, the odd hospital visit, I do think. Gosh, wow, we were in, we were in it when we were here. Yeah. That was a phase. I have probably just blocked it out. And actually, you know, we're now just kind of looking ahead, which is great. But I do feel super kind of lucky and blessed that actually there wasn't anything more serious with Eddie, and we aren't in there every week, or we're not still in there. And yeah. um, so I do kind of you know super grateful for you know for, for the fact that it has been relatively simple. With well, I'm
3: since. really glad you feel comfortable to talk about it. And thank Thank you. Because no. I do think there will be Pleasure. people who will be seeking out, hearing anyone talk about what that's yeah. like and, um, and all, all the sort of um, emotions that surround anything that just falls outside of the, the typical, really. Yeah. Um, and I think, I suppose now, what's your relationship like with, with Down syndrome now?
4: Yeah, I kind of, I'm still kind of on that path of kind of, you know, fully understanding it and fully come to terms with it. Like I'm, I suppose it's, I'm still on quite a few firsts, I kind of call it. Um, so I kind of, I've stopped kind of when I introduce Eddie to people saying he has Down syndrome, because I realise people can kind of see it when they look at him, but I now, I now can't really see it. Initially, I could really see it when I looked at him and now that's totally that worn off. Yes. Yeah, so now when he's being a bit loud and a bit, a bit shouty, I kind of have to, you know, I try find myself saying like, oh, he has Down syndrome. And they're like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, oh, oh, can you tell? Oh. So like, that, and I think on a train actually somebody stopped really kindly and was like oh gosh my brother has Down syndrome and I was like oh okay and you can I just so there's a few I suppose I'm just kind of getting comfortable with everything but George is great with it like I think we emailed the nursery to see if they had you know a little spot for Eddie and I said did you say he has Down syndrome and George was like no why should I tell them and I was like oh well I think you need to kind of say that so like George is you know as if it's all completely normal and I'm kind of I suppose still kind of on that path of getting used to it but being in that world of a disabled child have met some amazing mums, amazing therapists, we're in such a supported kind of borough and with some brilliant kind of charities, so it's really you know, we really feel so lucky. Um, and actually some of these other mums are just amazing. And you just realise, wow, there are so many incredible people out there with, you know, with children that have got conditions different to Eddie's as well. And sometimes mm. far more, you know, far more difficult to manage. And you just sometimes think like, wow, gosh, they really are incredible. Or where it's their first child or a very com- something really complex. I just, might, I mean, hats off to them for kind of, you know, being on that journey. So it, it's amazing. Again, it shows you a totally different world. Yeah. Um, and again, like, not that I was in that community competitive mum phase ever but um it's like totally takes you out of that like I think if somebody says to me oh my son isn't you know walking it or something I think oh my goodness (laughs) don't even worry and then I I won't tell them about Eddie if they don't already know or I'll gently be like oh don't worry Eddie will be so far behind like (laughs) you're good on that so it kind of I suppose it just dissipates those you know it kind of takes you out of any of those silly worries about developments or anything like that because you're just on his journey and it's quite enjoyable
3: yeah, I think that's there's a lot to be said for for that. I mean, obviously, look, it's a very extreme thing to have to experience because you're all you want is for your child to live a life where they can, you know, yeah. have amazing adventures and be surrounded by good people and all the good stuff in life. But I think, so there's definitely that adjustment, but I think, I mean, as in of, of caring about them and your heart is yeah. with them, isn't that? I mean, your yeah. heart's with your kid no matter what's going on in their Hopefully, life. Totally, yeah. But you just think, I just don't want them to be too vulnerable I want them to feel protected and safe and happy but I think um the fact of the matter is there'll be hurdles you cross with your kids no matter what highs and lows and times where they're going to find things challenging there might be struggles that happen to them and you do fall outside of those you know the milestones and all of that and everybody's got a different version of what that looks like and you've just had to deal with it in a lot more of a um you just had to, had to you, know, you know that that's where you're at. Yes. And nobody, yeah. some people will be blindsided by things
4: yes. along the way.
3: Yeah, totally.
4: Yeah. And I feel with Eddie, you kind of, we've slightly got the measure of it, which is quite nice mm. in a way. But yeah, looking around schools to Roxy, kind of in my head, I'm thinking, gosh, how would Eddie, how would Eddie be here? Like you're already kind of thinking of that. But, yeah I, yeah, I suppose you kind of never quite know what, what's going to happen. You it might be that do. Roxy becomes far, far more challenging than Eddie. But, yeah,
3: I, I feel like at the moment
4: it's quite positive, which is good.
3: Really positive. Well, not even that so much. But, like, I think also the way, the family you have and the people that, you know, that join your family along the way, that just becomes how things are. Yeah. And for your your family always make a big impact on you, that becomes, you know, always is such a big deal for you. So for Roxy, having a brother, like Eddie's going to always be like this thing that's going to have shaped her life in a way that's going to have so many positives and yeah. gorgeous things to it yeah and it's so helpful now because i think on the front cover of vogue the other day there was that
4: Brit- yes. yeah beautiful model who has dads and then there's george webb said there's been the irish film so there's so many like pinups i think i did a post a few months ago about gosh you know there was five or six kind of big things i think what you know a gentleman with down syndrome won the oscar so it was just so great so i was like actually like roxy's growing up you, with them on tv and you know that yeah. is far more familiar um so i yeah. yeah there's definitely less of a you know less of a challenge you know it's a bit more definitely on, bit more normal as such and
3: actually that is huge because I think the fact that we've now got so much better about inclusivity and yeah. I think for so many people growing up in previous times they must have just felt like I can't see anyone that looks like me yeah you know for, yeah. for all all kinds of reasons totally yeah and actually it's quite embarrassing that that's how we always 100% put what the, the narrative that was on in books on tvs and felt everything yeah. has always been so yeah. conventional when I don't really know very many people at all that subscribe to yeah, the convention
4: exactly. yeah. yeah yeah so true it is awkward isn't it sometimes when you see you're just thinking or thinking back you're like gosh that is awkward but
3: yeah I love yeah I love
4: the fact that there's kind of far more yeah f- f- yeah far more people with Down syndrome kind of peppered around or maybe I just notice it more that's the other thing I was like maybe I just notice it more no, I now it I'm in shifted. that world I, think, I has... think there is
3: a bit more visibility on it which is good I think so definitely and um, like I said just the nuance of individualism yeah. and all the people that were around that actually can see themselves reflected in things now. It's definitely... Yeah. It's still got a way to go, but it's definitely better.
4: Yeah, on that path.
3: Yeah, definitely. So when you've been... Look, it's enough to have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Yes. No matter what your job. But how... What's the shape of things if you're so driven with your work and you have to be so present? I mean, you are telling me before we start recording that last night you popped into <laughs> one event and meant to stay 15 minutes and <laughs> end up staying for two hours. So yeah. how... How does it work with giving yourself the space to prioritise work when you need to as well? Yeah, it's definitely a juggle for sure.
4: And I think I'm kind of getting better at that. I've now realised that if I'm... Working two nights in a row, that feels just too much to be away from the kids. Also I'm getting too old, like that's too exhausting for me. So like two nights out, like that that that's enough. Um, ideally, there's a night in between that I'm kind of at home doing bath time. So in terms of like the evening work, it's definitely kind of there, and I will pop in and pop along, but I'm not kind of needed and you know not needed there till I'm not working really late nights anymore. That was kind of done in my 20s, so I'm quite lucky that I've got a really brilliant team, but it is definitely a battle. Like at points you can kind of be present some but mentally somewhere else or mm. there, there'll be points where I'm like gosh I should be with the kids now or I'm at, at home and I think actually do you know what? I should have been at that event so you're constant kind of constantly re-evaluating it but George is amazing like he's incredible kind of um yeah really good really supportive you know on hand if anything needs to be dropped and I need to kind of run to work and then at work got an incredible team who if anything needs to be dropped and I need to go to the kids but I think still mapping it out I suppose just still kind of working out what I kind of can manage um and as the business grows working out what really needed and where am I really needed um so kind of becoming a bit more grown up in how I kind of spend my time um but definitely want to kind of be part of the team and on the ground and you know at the events and popping in actually is, is really important so that probably won't stop but it's also making sure that I've got enough energy to like you know sensibly run the business um and get it you know keep it you know going in the right direction um so yeah still just juggling it all really
3: <laughs> and was having the the restaurant and the cafe always part of the the vision because that's is that slightly different hat to wear to the catering
4: yes, side? Yes, yeah, slightly. So we have got a little cafe on Lavender Hill, which is really sweet. We've kind of doing a little series of supper gloves, which is sweet, and it's a good kind of for like a little lock-in party. We've had like that many, like, cool. yeah, it's quite fun over the years. <laughs> had many like lock-in lasagnas, which you call it, which are wild parties. Um, but so that's quite fun, and that's I think I started that about ten years ago. So that just kind of potted along, and then the restaurant and the cafe are in Design Centre in Chelsea Harbour. So we're kind of there with the client, and we run their restaurant for them, and we run their cafe for them. So it's a slightly different. Set up. But yeah, that's under a sites team. Um, so that bit kind of is relatively self-sufficient but obviously under the umbrella of social pantry mm-hmm. it's um, and then we have workplace as well where we're in-house at law firms and feed offices and tech firms um, on a daily basis and that runs relatively self-sufficiently as well it's the events that kind of um, you know I suppose there's a bit more seasonality to it um, and sometimes it's just really exciting clients and and kind of definitely is you know really needs me to be there um, but there's a lot of events that just run like clockwork and and, and don't take my TL, you know need my in a tlc
3: but i guess with the events you need to have that bit at the beginning when you and the client are feeling like you've yes. got your whole attention you're going yeah, to deliver totally what they...
4: a lot of pitching a lot of kind yeah. of a lot of incredible tastings um wining and dining making sure that they are just feeling you know kind of so well looked after i actually hosted a dinner last week at the national portrait gallery i had 60 guests um and we did a private view of this amazing um exhibition called yvonne she was a woman that put like color on photography in the 1930s Oh, that sounds yes it was really cool so we kind of hosted yeah 60 clients it felt so grown up (laughs) kind of doing a speech at the beginning i was like gosh i'm nervous like this is really exciting and amazing so there's some really great parts to it um lots of it kind of fills with anxiety but um it's all kind of going in the right direction but yeah big clients and making sure that you know we're
3: just wowing again and again so So how do you keep yourself sort of still focused with all that is it just does it just rely on you having that Passion yeah, for
4: it, yeah, and I think keeping it exciting. So I've just booked for Sarah, Rich, and I to go to Japan in um, January because I was like, we and Sarah went to Helsinki last year, I think, with a couple of the team members. So and um, I, yeah, we're kind of doing a Paris food trip. So just making sure that we're kind of always at the forefront of like food sourcing, you know, food trends, food suppliers. So do you have so, to go around trying lots of different yeah, things exactly, and, and oh, eating out and kind I'm of so like sorry, it you know, <laughs> sounds awful. It's such hard work, um, but yeah, Japan. I was like, let's go. Is going to be really fun, like, let like, there's just enough there. Sarah's going to do a little stage, so she's going to go and work in a restaurant over there. So, we're just kind of finalizing that. So, it's just kind of keeping it exciting and also saying yes to stuff that I find exciting. So, like, mm. Latitude, when they were like. Will you come and do this feasting? I was like, yeah, do you know what? Yeah, that sounds quite fun. Like, it's not the biggest money spinner, but I enjoy that, and it's fun, and it's exciting. And, you know, and so, so it's just saying yes to the projects that keep it exciting. Obviously, you have to do some of the, the stuff that's less exciting, but I suppose we get quite a lot of opportunities put our way, and it's saying yes to what's fun. And, and it's never and keeps boring, because it's yes.
3: always changing, always new things yes. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you sort of like experiences and...
4: Yeah, and I've got an incredible team and I kind of need to keep them motivated. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like, how do I... What opportunities will keep them engaged and keep them working for Social Pantry? <laughs> like, how do I keep... How do I retain them? And that's with exciting growth and their careers,
3: you know, being exciting and full of
4: things, I suppose.
3: But I suppose it... How... Did you always envisage that it would turn into a business on this scale? No. Or was it kind of just sort of taken you with it? It's
4: totally gone. Yeah, it's completely taken me with it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like... I, I was thinking the other day, like, how many times do I feel out of my depth? And I'd probably say nine times out of 10. Like, really? Yeah, imposter syndrome is really quite big. Um, and having never worked for a caterer, <laughs> like, I've got brilliant people that work for other caterers. And I'm like, how do they do that? Or, like, can you tell us? <laughs> like, and so, having never worked for a caterer, I feel like, oh gosh, how do I, you know, how do I map this out? And, and so, I'm making so many mistakes. Um, but as, I feel like as long as you learn from them, that's okay. And as long as they're not too big a mistake, I always feel like there's no appraisal as the boss. You don't get like your feedback or, but the fact that I'm still in business is kind of the appraisal. (laughs) So it's kind of working out what are the good next steps. But yeah, I I think there's a good, yeah, a a good number of days in the week that I think, gosh, this is a challenge or this is quite anxiety inducing or like, how do we, you know, how do we kind of, how do I kind of handle this? And I suppose it's because you're always experiencing it and it's always quite new. I haven't done it before. Mm. If I was to, you know, go and start another catering company, it'd be very easy and probably feel quite comfortable um, but kind of growing it at this level often I'll kind of think wow gosh this is <laughs> this is quite full on
3: it sounds like you've done a lot of learning as you go but also you it sounds like you're really good at listening to the team around you and kind of thinking right is how can I keep this evolved and nurtured yeah. and so it's got a lot of um it's very personable on the inside yes
4: yeah because it, it's such hard work like I think the hospitality industry you're always like you, you know like you, you're always entertaining when people are partying mm. so like you know when people are on holi- those holiday periods you're there like cooking like, I confirmed I think two events on Christmas Day last week so there'll be two two, <laughs> bougie private families that you know teams will be at so it kind of doesn't stop so you're always kind of hosting and cooking and so the team you know trying to look after them and keep them kind of nurtured when they're working quite hard is a real priority because um, it's hard work and it, and it's late nights and it's, and it's tough at points but you know they, they love it and they're in the industry because they're driven and they're good at it and they're very passionate but keeping them kind of you know with a good work-life balance is really important and something I really try to do because I need that to operate. So they definitely do as well. And it yeah. doesn't mean you just have to have kids to have that work life balance. Like they need it. You know, you need it just to be able to operate it. So I suppose having kids kind of force me into a bit more of a work life balance. But with with the younger team it's about making sure that they do feel well looked after and that's and a bit
3: of an aim. Are your kids Good at eating because I imagine yeah. that would be something that's quite key to you to get them
4: excited yes. about flavors. Yes. So Roxy said to me the other day, she's like, "I don't like your plain food," and I was like, "Oh no, <laughs>
3: George is a really good cook,
4: and like can kind of <laughs> whip up a food like you know something out of nothing, and loves a curry, and like so his flavors mm-hmm. are really good, and the kids love that. And with my kind of you know pasta and cheese, like just doesn't kind of wash. So yeah. want that anymore. <laughs> yeah, Where's yeah. the truffle? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly Yeah, she's gonna be dreadful, but yeah, yeah.
3: Well, I think it's good, though, because I think um, food is emotional, mm. isn't it, at the heart of it. I mean, yeah. I, so your childhood, where, were you born in Saudi?
4: No, was, my dad was in the Navy, so we kind of were posted around. Wow. So, yeah, so born in Australia, and then posted back here, did a few years here, and then mum and dad were posted to Saudi. Um, and I think we were there for about five or six years, which is really lovely, amazing culture and... Great food and just a, a cool experience. What do you think it teaches here. you
3: if you have a childhood where you move around a lot like that? Do
4: you know what? I really enjoyed it, um, and I would be so keen to kind of like do an abroad move. I think it's so. I think just experiencing different cultures and different way of life and kind of different languages, I think is so exciting, um and makes you realise that there's this whole world out there. Like I've been lucky enough. It really inspires me, like travel. Like I love to travel and love to kind of get abroad and like explore because I think it just takes you out of the rat race and it kind of gives you perspective um so experiencing another culture and living in it is just is exciting I always think you can always kind of come back to you know to the UK and but yeah I would love to kind of always jealous of friends that are living abroad and that can just go with work or you know do mm. a couple of years
3: somewhere I was like oh that's the dream um but yeah I think it's exciting and maybe gives you a little bit of resilience as well because it means you can sort of upsticks and yeah. be somewhere else and have to start again a little bit, like you know new friends, new school, yeah, new everything, yeah, totally. and i yeah, I think just that whole experience is is so exciting. um,
4: and that the world's big, there's a lot of amazing places to, to to go and live. So yeah, we definitely try and kind of travel a little bit. Um, when we can we're kind of taking three weeks off at Christmas a because it's really needed but b we were like let's just kind of duck out of duck out of social pantry for a few weeks I'm quite good at knowing when to kind of take that time for ourselves and a family but it will just be lovely we'll come back you know with you know again with different ideas and you know being excited about everything again and just that refresh but we're going to Sri Lanka which would be really lovely Amazing, yeah but like good food and just a bit of downtime I think is just so important and we're lucky enough that we can kind of can do that and fit it in
3: that'd be gorgeous yeah I think also I'm impressed with your your family because some people who've, whose parents work in something like the navy with their daughter coming out of the second school might not have been like okay we can find a positive and get yeah you, you know get, keep you engaged
4: yes yeah
3: so that's that's quite I mean how do you feel now looking back on the fact that you stopped going to school but then they found help yes you, i think my mum always knew else. that i was quite naughty she had quite a good <laughs> sense of humor which was lucky, lucky. You need that <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah um and there was four of us so it was quite busy but yeah i think i remember her um getting me some work experience at the Hyatt hotel so because i was a woman in saudi you couldn't work so i had to go with that to the outside catering department and wear my abaya fully as i like carved shawarma in like the 50 degree heat and i did that for like you know two or three weeks and that was really good so i think she was always seeking out like opportunities would kind of keep me I suppose energized and interested and I suppose hospitality is such an easy entry um industry you can kind of you know join it and not have to have that many skills and you know you can kind of make your way in it by learning on the job I suppose so yeah there was that I suppose there was a bit of kind of energy around like keeping me busy and
3: Yeah, I mean, you say it's easy, but I think actually, I think working in something like catering or hospitality, it's actually one of the hardest because I think it's proper graft. And I think working alongside people and the the pace of it is full on. And I really take my hat off to you because I think whenever I'm at an event or anything where there's catering, I just look at the people and how hard they're working first to set up, last to leave, having yeah. to navigate the way people are at events, everything, yeah. getting the food on the table, everything served simultaneously. I think it's incredible. Yes. yeah, oh, you're so
4: good. <laughs> I love that you recognise that. Like, I do try and kind of explain, yeah, I do try and kind of, also when we're kind of doing tastings with clients, I'll always say how brilliant the team are. I'm like, I, I kind of don't let them leave that room without knowing that they are it's incredible to be able to kind of pull off these events. Also, it's quite a transient industry at a low level. So a lot of your waiting staff, you know, it's not like it's their career for them they might mm. be traveling they might be at uni out of work actresses you know you know might, might have just finished studying for a summer so it's trying to get them energized for like you know for an event that's going to be quite hard work and it's yeah. you know that we kind of need them on board but yeah so there's a number of elements but it's it's exciting when you get it right I think
3: I bet as well you hear stories about people being quite badly behaved because I think you know when you're out with you can tell quite a lot about people by how they are with the people yeah. that are putting their food down for them and yes serving them I hope I people are mostly nice, but I bet sometimes people are horrible. <laughs> we've kind of definitely experienced it. You've got a blacklist somewhere. I bet you've got a, like a little yeah. mental blacklist of people. Yeah, we Rude do. people.
4: Yeah, there's a few and you just have to smile and think in your head like, oh, goodness me. So yeah, I feel like we've experienced most of it um but yeah and that's that's the other bit you've got to just stick together in that situation when they're pretty you know if they're ghastly you just think oh my goodness you're kind of in it together but yeah (laughs) there are still some people out there that maybe don't understand kind of what it takes to pull it off
3: yeah definitely well no I'm impressed and I think what you've built is brilliant and please keep putting the cute pictures oh yeah (laughs) I will (laughs)
4: thank you so much for having me
3: Hi, so um it's quite funny actually. I just tried to record the, you know, my little roundup at the end of the podcast, and I was downstairs. And I knew it was risky because the kids are all downstairs. But honestly, it was like a press record and then it was like doorbell, people come and speak to me, one of the kids having a fight, um, someone else getting annoyed, loads of shouting. So I've had to run away upstairs. Oh, I mean, look. It's lovely to be back home with the family, but I'm not going to lie. There's aspects of touring where you're like, oh my God, this is so nice. I spend all the day, you know, before soundcheck, just sort of doing what I feel like doing. When would you get to do that in normal life? It wasn't wasted on me, I promise you. Turns out I'm still really good at things like lions and going for long walks around cities and finding a nicer coffee shop and going for brunch and looking in vintage places. I'm very happy. I can make my life very, very simple. um, But it is good to be home. Of course, it is good. I've been so looking forward to Christmas. Anyway, I'm rambling a little bit because I got distracted. I want to say a big thank you to Alex. What a woman. And so cool to hear... um, Again, not that we know, we know this, don't we, really, but that, you know, people who maybe find the school system a bit of a clunky fit can go on to do such extraordinary, interesting things, but also then they can really empathise with other people who maybe fall outside of the, you know, the norm. So, she, you know, when she's working with the offenders, she's like... I get it. Like, if you're, if things have not worked out for you, it doesn't mean that people have to give up on you. There's other things you can achieve, other things that can give you purpose and make you feel good in life and good about yourself. So I, I think all that stuff is just so brilliant. Um, so it's was absolute joy to talk to Alex properly and really sort of go a bit deeper on everything and what motivates her and how it all works. And yes, I mean, look, following... You know, people who've got cute babies on Instagram is nothing new. But I do really recommend the pictures of Eddie. He's such a beautiful little bubba. Just makes you smile when you look at him. He's adorable. And uh, I really appreciate the conversation that Alex and I had. I think it's fantastic that um, she's so open, but also um, what a happy ending. So that's all good. And now... um, I've just ordered myself. I'm being really lazy tonight. It's a Friday night. It's cold outside. I'm absolutely wiped. So, some fish and chips, I think, is going to be what happens to me next. Fish and chips, and then hopefully an early night if I'm lucky. And then tomorrow I've got one more gig and I'm taking the kids with me. And then I am done, done for Christmas. And um, obviously, with the podcast, it's just on pause. We'll be back in the new year. But I just want to say thank you to everybody who's. Um, all my guests I've had so far this series, to everybody who's listened, thank you so much for coming to find me here. Um, you know, how I feel about the podcast, it's my total passion. So, thank you so much. And while we've been doing the Christmas tour, I always say on stage, you know, Merry Christmas, have a really good one, spend it with people you like, and be kind to yourself. That's all there is to it. And I do really think that's true. I know Christmas looks like a different thing to lots of different people, but. I think if you can just change gear a little bit, just be a little kinder, just relax a little bit, hunker down, do things you find comforting, familiar, you know, the right people, no stress. Uh That's all the good stuff around Christmas. So have a really lovely one and happy new year. I will see you in January. So yeah, I hope it all goes all right over the next couple of weeks. I've got some more lovely, lovely guests for you coming up. The series is not over. And uh, and if you have been to see me over the last few weeks, thank you so much. It's been really special. And I'll be heading into Europe again as well in March. So lots of lovely things on the horizon too. But mainly, have a really lovely Christmas. Take it nice and easy. And yeah, you will hear from me in the new year. All right, lots of love. See you soon.